We are getting ready to start our Easter series. Um, we're going to build up, and as we do, um, we're going to kind of look at a couple different texts until we get to Easter Sunday. And uh, I hope that this can be a time that we can reflect on, on the work of the cross, the path to the cross, um, and just kind of look at some different things and build up to a place where we can just celebrate on Easter Sunday, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Um, so one of the things... Um, that I thought was super cute, by the way, during that whole time, was listening to you guys try and come up with different attributes. I thought it was fun listening. But um, if you would, turn to your, in your copy of God's Word or in the Pew Bible in front of you. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 27. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 26 this morning. So if you would turn there and stand with me as we read this, starting in Matthew chapter 27. Um, we're going to start at verse 11. And we're going to go through verse 26. So it starts at verse 11. It says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear many things, how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted, and they, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting uh, on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Then the governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And as he said, and he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just this time this morning that we might begin to reflect on this incredible moment of history when you came and lived and walked and you went willingly to the cross to die. So Father, we pray this morning that you would minister to our hearts, that you would challenge us, that your words would echo in our hearts and minds throughout this week to remind us of your goodness and your truth. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to start with some context. I want to go through the story, and then I have three points I want to ask about a specific question that Pilate asked and kind of build on that. But first, we want to kind of give some context of what's going on so that we don't just feel like we're jumping into the story without the whole context. Uh, I'm sure um, we probably are somewhat familiar with the story. Um, 
But Matthew, in the context, is you know, Jesus has just been arrested. Uh, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed with, uh, while his disciples um, fell asleep and he poured out his heart to the Father. And, and, and essentially, uh, you, you get a beautiful picture of the heart of Jesus and just the, the struggle. You know, so oftentimes I think we approach the, the death of Jesus and we think it was an emotionless duty and responsibility he did, but there is a reality that Jesus did not want to die. And I think we can overlook that so much because we, we see the deity of Jesus and we forget the humanity of Jesus. And I think it's important for us to constantly be remembering that He was a man just like me. And He, he didn't want to die. And so Jesus is arrested. You, you have Him taken for this mock trial before the Jewish leaders. Um, and they, they, they mock Him. They, 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 they torment Him. They do all kinds of things. And... and um, Ultimately, and we'll look a little bit briefly at this, they, they realized that the Jewish leaders, they wanted to crucify Jesus. And you can see the tone in Matthew. We read it in Mark. Their heart was, uh, I think you, you can overlook this as well, their heart was to destroy Him, is the word. I mean, that is outright rage, to destroy Him. And um, as we'll see in a little bit, um, they did not have the authority or the power to put Him to death. So naturally, um, what they needed was um, some persuasion from the government. And so they took Jesus um, after they had taken him through their mock trial, sentenced him to death. They take him to Pilate. Um, the intentions are very clear in it. In John chapter 18, we get a glimpse. It said, Pilate said to them, uh, and this is what I just mentioned, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So that was their intention. Um, so they bring him before Pilate, and we get this little glimpse of Judas regretting his decision and committing suicide. And then that starts our story. And our story is, uh, is one that has always fascinated me. You have Pilate st- sitting there um, in his governing house, and suddenly. Um, our story starts, and it starts really in, in verse 11, and it really is an interview, right? Um, and like I said, I'm going to walk through the story, and then I want to really dive into some stuff here. So the story is that Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him again no answer, not ever, even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. A couple of things going on. You have all these questions. John gives us more details about these questions. Um, you get this, this uh, dialogue a little bit with Jesus. Not that Jesus didn't say anything at all, but here in Matthew, the focus is on this, this question. And, and the answer is uh, by Jesus, because um, the question is, are, are you the king of the Jews? And ultimately what Pilate is getting at, I want to give you the context here, there's a political approach. Pilate's trying to determine, is Jesus an insurrectionist? Is he trying to stir up a a revolt? Because remember, who's in charge? The Romans. And so if Jesus is standing up and saying, no, 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 I'm the king, now we have a legitimate 
issue going on. So Pilate's trying to walk through this. And, and Jesus says, well, uh, if that's what you say, that's what they have said. And we get, a, again, a little bit more glimpse. That I would encourage you as we approach Easter, as you spend some time uh, in your personal time, I would encourage you to walk through these gospel accounts of what's going on, familiarize yourself with it. Um, there's a lot of detail that we're going to just skim through. Um, but Jesus' answer is, is, is such an amazing fulfillment of Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, it says, He was oppressed, He was afflicted, yet what? He opened not His mouth. But like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. That was 350-some years before Jesus stood before Pilate. And then you have, uh, when I read through Scriptures, I like to find the things that just kind of stand out to me. And what stood out to me was the impression that Jesus left on Pilate. It says that he was greatly amazed. Not just amazed, not just surprised, but he was greatly amazed. In fact, we find out from Luke in his account that from this moment on, Pilate set out to try and free Jesus. And he, and he said, you know what, this guy is innocent. And, and he would say to, the, to the, uh, the, the audience, the crowd, he said, why do you want to put this guy to death? In Luke chapter 23, verse 4, it says, Pilate says to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no guilt in this man. And in John 19, verse 12, we're told that from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. The story continues. And it says in verse 15, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to be released for the crowd, any one prisoner whom they wanted. So here we have an attempt by Pilate, a custom. He could release a prisoner. You can see the, the wheels turning in Pilate's head. He's saying, this man's innocent. How can I get out of this situation? Ah, we've got this custom where we can release somebody. Surely there is no way they're going to pick Barabbas. We're told in, in different gospel accounts, we're given some more details about Barabbas. He was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. He was a robber. Uh, an incredible sermon preached by Peter in Acts tells us that the, the crowd literally put the author of life to death in place of a murderer and a robber. So Pilate, you can just see the wheels turning and saying, there's no way. He's a notorious murderer. He's, he's well known. And, and, and in fact, Pilate tells us, and we're told in a little bit of a glimpse into the mind of Pilate, it says, um, <clears throat> whom do you, want, uh, do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Why? Verse 18, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. And then we have this kind of interesting dream that, uh, that uh, I, I could preach countless sermons, men, on how we ought to listen to the counsel of our wives. You ever wonder why whenever God speaks to a man in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, he has to say his name twice? Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob. Because, you know, we don't always listen so well. But you have this kind of odd dream. And his wife says, hey, let him go. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. 
Then you see the, the, this, this persuasion of the crowd, their demand that they release Barabbas and destroy, and we mentioned that, destroy Jesus. And so he does a second attempt. It's like this constant questioning. Are you sure? Is this really what you want? Which do you want me to release to you? And they shout all the more louder, and the crowd just becomes inflamed and incited. And it says that he submits to them in order to prevent a riot. And then Pilate does this whole uh, innocence claim. He brings out the bowl of water and he washes his hands and he says, I want you to know I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's Pilate's show. I'm not going to spend any time talking about this, but I want you to see the reality, because when I was growing up, I used to always think to myself, why does everybody give Pilate such a hard time, right? I mean, he was kind of stuck in a rock in a hard place. But Pilate was a coward. An absolute coward. I mean, think about it. His custom, he had created a custom to release prisoners at a feast. Why? To appeal to his constituents. Not out of justice, not out of righteousness, but to appeal. He was afraid of men. He was, he was controlled by a mob who really had authority in all of this. But there's a question in this text that I want us to really focus on. And I have three points in regards to this question that ultimately is an application because the reality is that as we prepare and as we approach the cross of Jesus, there is something that must be acknowledged. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus is a historical figure. He is a reality that cannot be denied. So for countless years, they tried to deny the reality of Jesus. Then when they realized they could not disprove that, they said, well, what do we have to do in regards to Jesus? I mean, if he's a real figure, then he must not have been truly God. So we have all these different explanations and all these different uh, directions that people go because the reality is Jesus is real and there's no denying it. And so ultimately the question that Pilate asked the crowd is the exact same question that we need to ask ourselves today. And that question is this, what shall I do then with Jesus? It really is the ultimate question, is it not? What shall I do with Jesus? And it is first and foremost a directed question. What do I mean by that? It is a question that is personal. Notice what Pilate says. What shall I do with Jesus? It is a personal question. It is a directed question. You have Pilate, the individual here. He's a, he's a figurehead who wanted no part in answering the question, yet he had to. And that is the reality of humanity, is that the reality is that Jesus exists and that He has gone and He has died, and this is a historical account. And the question is, what shall I, meaning me, the individual, do in regards to this information? Not what should you do, but what shall I do? Pilate had all kinds of influences to help him make the decision, did he not? He had the influence of this notorious prisoner, Barabbas, who, who as he thought through this whole process, he says, I see this Jesus, he appears to be innocent, he appears to be a righteous person, and yet we have this criminal over here, and, and what shall I do with Jesus? Well, I'm going to listen to the influences of the crowd. 
He had his wife beckoning him, saying, I have a, a, a dream that you need to consider. You have this entire mob that's going. And the question is, I begin to think through this. And, and when we ask somebody, what shall we do with Jesus? There are so many things and so many influences. And my question is, in regards to this, is what are the influences in our lives that have come to help us with this question? I have encountered so many people, whether it's through working in a factory or just daily life, that struggle to answer this question. And, and at some point in time, we ask the question, well, well how, how, I mean, how can God judge somebody who didn't know? And the reality is there are so many countless influences. We have the Word. We have the Holy Spirit. We have friends and family. There are countless influences. And there's an impasse in this. And the impasse is this. Just like Pilate, he had to make a final decision. There is no escaping it. One day we'll all face a count and we'll have to answer the question, what shall I do with Jesus? So it is a directed question. It is a determining question is a question that demands action. What shall I do with Jesus? So you have it personally. What shall I? And then it is a, a determining, it is a, a, a question that, that, that requires action. What shall I do with Jesus? You have the attempts in here, and the attempts are that Pilate tries to defer things, right? He's always trying to deflect. I don't want to have to do anything. I don't want to have to do anything. Let's, let's um, let the crowd decide. He's always constantly pushing it off on people. And how many times in our life when we have the, the appeal of the Holy Spirit in regards to some aspect of our life that we know that we have to respond and we have to have action on, and we sit here and we try and defer it. We put it off on something else and we try and push it away or we try and say, well, you know what? It's out of my hands. It's out of my hands. I can't tell you how many times I have done this where I see something going on and I know that there's a brother or sister that needs to be uh, uh, just encouraged in the word or directed with something. And I say, well, mm, it's not really in my hands. The Holy Spirit will convict them. And we figuratively wash our hands that I am innocent of whatever decision they make. And there's an attitude here. Pilate tried to be neutral and indifferent. That's not an option. It never will be. Because the reality with this determining question is it comes down to one of two actions ultimately. What shall I do with Jesus? Either I will deny Him or I will put my trust in Him. And don't think, because we will get to this, that this is just solely in regards to my personal salvation. It's a directed question. It's a determining question. It is a dividing question question it's a question that will divide the whole human race what shall i do with jesus there are lots of things that divide i mean this this world is filled with division iu purdue that's a pretty easy one but just saying cubs and that other red team from st louis 
we shall not mention. There are real issues even in Christianity that divide. I had to write for a, a proposition paper recently, one of my favorite subjects. For those of you who know me, you would know how much I enjoyed writing it on, on the role of election and human responsibility in justification. It's a fun topic. And there is literally zero division on that throughout the whole of human Christianity. It would take about three seconds for a person to realize how much what shall we do with Jesus ultimately divides. It's not because Jesus is divisive. It's because, as Jesus said, division will come because of My name. That mother will be against daughter and father against son. Because it is a dividing thing that there will be sheep and there will be goats and there will be division in regards to this. The topic of Jesus is not just religion. It's not what church we go to. It's not even about tithing. But it's Jesus is the subject here and Jesus causes this. And you have the totality of all of it is that it is the question, is it not? It is the one question that must be answered by all of humanity and one day we will stand and give an account on how we answer this question. And what you decide to do with Jesus initially will determine your eternal destination. What a question. If you pause and, and contemplate. And as I walk through this, I think of a number of things. Number one is that you have, what shall you do with Jesus as a gospel question, is it not? And it is the greatest gospel question that could ever be asked. That if Jesus came and He lived and died, if He, if he did all the things that He said he, that are claimed in the Word, and if He really was the Son of God and He lived a perfect and holy life, and that He willingly went because He saw the sinfulness of humanity, and He said they can never pay the punishment for their sin, but yet I will pay it on their behalf by offering Myself as a living sacrifice that would die on a cross, be buried, and on the third day raised from the dead and conquering sin and death and offering it to all humanity. And the question becomes, what shall you do with Jesus in regards to that? Will you trust Him? Will you obey the Gospel? And I would hope that each and every week as we, be, we walk through the Scriptures, we'll see that ultimately the question comes down to this. What will you do with Jesus? And as we approach the, the cross and we approach the, the, the moment of Calvary and we continue to walk through this next month reflecting on what Jesus was willing to die and do for humanity, the question begs an answer, demands an answer, and it is inescapable. What will we do with Jesus? And I hope and pray, and it has been my prayer, I'm, I am passionate about evangelism. My hope and prayer is that people would say, what I do with Jesus is I trust Him for my eternal salvation. But what's amazing is, it's not just a gospel question, it's also a glory question. 
Because we think of this question, I think it could be so quickly uh, become a what shall I do in regards to Jesus? But I think the question ultimately can also be asked, what shall I do with Jesus? In other words, alongside of Jesus. Not just a matter of truth, but trust and action. Will you walk with Him? What shall I do with Jesus, alongside of Jesus? Am I willing, as Jesus did, to take up my cross and offer my life in sacrifice and service for Him? What shall I do with Jesus? I began to think about this and reflect on it this week and and especially the last couple of days and thinking through what if, what if every single morning we woke up and we asked, what shall I do with Jesus today? I wonder how that would impact my life as I wake up and I start to, to, to drink my coffee and think through the things for the day and I begin to reflect and organize my schedule. And, and I'll tell you what happens so oftentimes for me is I totally neglect. I, I get into the Word, I, I read through it, and, and, I, and, cause I, and I know how important that is. But when I finish, I start to look at the news or I look at something else and suddenly I have neglected to ask myself, what am I going to do with Jesus today? What if we made it personal? I wonder how that would impact our lives if we, when we woke up in the morning, we stopped and we paused and we thought through, man, here is Pilate asking the crowd and their responses destroy him. What if my response is today, I'm going to glorify him and so what shall I do with Jesus today? And as we approach this incredible season, I like how Mike said it, it's our Super Bowl, right? The most important holiday of the church and we build up for this amazing event and I hope and pray that after Easter Sunday it doesn't dwindle off because not every other Sunday is as important. Right? I mean, I do it. I build up to Easter. I get excited about Easter. It's such an awesome thing. And uh, we go through all the rituals and traditions of Easter, whether you do uh, whatever family traditions, but then after Easter ends, do we just go back to a normal thing? But what if we paused? What if we paused and said, I hope and pray that for us, the answer is not nothing. What shall I do with Jesus today? Nothing. I'm going to go on and live my life today without Him. But I pray that it will be glorious and sanctifying. You know, as we approach Easter, one of the great things that we get to do is participate in communion. And Stephen's going to come up. We're going to play some music. We're going to reflect and I would just challenge you that as you reflect on what Jesus did, and, and, and you know, we could sit here and there's so many different ways to approach this. We could talk about the gory stuff that Jesus went through and, and kind of appeal to our heart and our emotions. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with some of that. I, I think there is a place where we can appeal to our hearts about what Jesus went through so that we can understand this is what He went through for me. But I want us to approach this season as we walk through what Jesus did went through 
to start by asking the question, what shall I do with Jesus? Because the reality is, He is very real. And we have a response to it. And so we're going to partake in communion. And people that might look at from the outside would say things like, well, what is this whole communion thing? Is a superstitious thing? I mean, I hear of churches that believe that when the priest or the pastor prays over it, then it suddenly becomes the body and blood of Jesus. Is it, is it this thing that we must partake of for uh, our, our hope of salvation? Because I think it's important as we approach Easter that we understand what we're doing. And what we're doing is we're saying that Jesus bled and died. That He poured out His blood and He had His body beaten and bruised and broken. And we celebrate communion for one specific purpose. To celebrate. To celebrate that you can walk this life with Jesus and not have a fear of death because one day when we appear before Him, God the Father will see us and say, my son died and bled for you and I know that that is your hope of salvation. And you have my son in you. And without the cross, we have nothing to celebrate. Without the resurrection, which we will celebrate on that Easter Sunday, we have no hope. In fact, Paul says if the resurrection did not happen, we of all people are the most to be pitied. Because all of our hope rests in the fact that our Savior rose from the dead. So when somebody asks, why do you celebrate communion? Why do you have communion? Because they probably wouldn't even use the term celebrate. Why do you do it? Because it's a time to pause and reflect on what the Lord has done for me. And maybe add the question before we partake, what shall I do with Jesus? And I hope and pray that the first answer is settled for each one in this room. And that first answer is I will trust Him with all of my being. That He is my salvation, my rock. And the second answer is I will walk with Him. And I will celebrate His death and resurrection. So what I want us to do is to pause and maybe we need to have a moment with the Lord. Paul tells us that, that the Corinthians were wrongly partaking of this. They had turned this celebration into uh, an unholy feast where it was about greed and selfishness because they had lost sight of the one most important thing. And so Paul says, when you partake of this, let a man examine himself. Search your heart. Search your motives. And if there's sin there, lay it before the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sin. Because He tells us in His Word that He is faithful and just, that if we confess our sins, He will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then I would just encourage you, before you come up, ask, what shall I do with Jesus? What shall my life count for but a life with Jesus? And let us reflect on that. I'm going to pray, and then I just encourage you to spend some time with the Lord. And when you're ready, just come on up. Come as a family.
Come as individuals, whatever that looks like, and make this a sweet time of fellowship with the Lord and celebrate the victory He has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for a moment to reflect and to ask the question, the most important question we could ever ask, which is, what shall I do with Jesus? And Father, as we think back to this moment in history, a moment when Jesus said He was about truth, and Pilate wanted nothing to do with truth, because he had made his decision on what to do with Jesus. Lord, I pray for us today that we might reflect on this and remember your goodness, remember your sacrifice. And Lord, that we can come before you with clean hands and holy hearts, sanctified by your Holy Spirit. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.